everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Some people are born with a business mind. Our guest this week, Brandon Green, is a perfect example of that naturally gifted entrepreneurial spirit. Brandon co-founded Keller Williams Capital Properties and has also founded Chapter 2 Ventures, which invests in businesses who are positively impacting the world around us. Find out how to have a successful business amid COVID and one that thrives long after it's gone. We also learn how Brandon finds time to train and even help him do a bit of goal setting. Learn the tools to navigate the business world from someone experienced, grounded, and highly successful. Here it is, episode 413. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? Hi, John. Hi, what's happening? Hi, Tex. Hello. This is the musical version of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in... Well, that's more Gregorian chant. Strength, that's music to me. And conditioning. Ing. Zero. No, that's the phone number, John. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that we have a hotline? You should text us and call us. 929-464-464-0. That's right. That's 929-ing-ing-zero. That's right. Oh, um, but that's not who's bringing... That's, that's not an official um, uh, brought to you by... What do you call those? Advertisement? Commercial? Here's, uh, those are called paid advertisements. Yeah, that's not an official paid advertisement. Here's the real advertisement. Don't skip forward. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just weeks away from the most... What do I want to call this? It's Spectacular? Really, yeah, it's, it's delightful? A, it's of epic proportions. Delightful apparel promotion. No, it's, it's in your face. It's be the hammer. It's everything that Power Athlete mm-hmm. is for apparel. Yes, that's right. We have hot, hot new hot. apparel dropping. We've got holiday specials coming up. It's the end of the year. Oh my gosh. And you're go oh, you're, feel- you know what? You're prepping for Thanksgiving, aren't you? You're going to have to sit around a table and you're going to have to talk to all of your family members and your friends and their in-laws and their spouses and they're going to go, "Hey, how come your traps and delts are so sculpted and beautiful? What's up with those triceps and biceps?" And you know what you're going to tell them? It's this shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> it's this Eat the Week shirt. Well, the thing I'm excited about right. is um, <laughs> I'm both a little melancholy and excited that we don't have a 2020 Power Athlete Symposium. Yes. So instead of a 2020 Power Athlete Symposium, we are going to sink all of our time, effort, thought, emotion, everything that we have. Into vacation. <laughs> into bl- in, I was going to say Black Friday. Oh, okay. But seeing as it, I, I, I mean, you're going to have to borrow vacation days from text because you already burned through them. Oh, yeah, no, we're it's you know I'll sell uh, them to your real cheap. I mean, found, you have plenty to give me as well. I, f- <laughs> I found on the radio today. Uh-oh. Uh, instead of a honeymoon, you have a bro moon. What? And you when you went on the bro moon, so this is a deal now. People aren't going on honeymoons anymore. Mm-hmm. They're basically taking trips with their friends, and it's either called like uh, a friend moon or a bro moon. And I was like, and that Kate's like, what idiot would do that? I'm like, Luke Summers. Uh, he, yeah, I know one. <laughs> yeah, he went on a bro uh, I know moon. Twelve. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, I got married. We're going on a bro moon. Yeah, we got to hurry this up because I have another bro moon that starts in about ten minutes. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, that's right. Head to the shop. Things are fresh. Things are new. Go to shop.powerathletehq. Dot com and uh, yeah and do it and then on the holidays don't be afraid to talk about how you learned everything you know about health and fitness from Power Athlete Radio the premier podcast in strength and conditioning ing zero and you want to know how they're gonna be like well how do you know it's so um, premier <laughs> and go just say go to YouTube and look at their reviews I've written one I've <laughs> I've written a review and I've rated them or, as five stars or you can just ask Google now okay Google. 
What is Power Athlete Radio? Mm-hmm. Oh, people's Google is going to go off. I know. Exactly. Hey, Google, play Meatloaf on Ellen DeGeneres on the big screen on YouTube. Hey, Meatloaf, will you play Wrecking Ball? <laughs> hey, Meatloaf, Meatloaf, play Wrecking Ball. Um, Chat Roulette uh, Wrecking I wish, Ball. I wish we could just talk to Meatloaf, but uh-huh. who are we talking to today after our Black Friday clothing drop <sighs> announcement? It's not Meatloaf. It's better than that. We got a fella better that... Better than Meatloaf? Yeah. I love Meatloaf. I know, but... No, not the singer, the actual Meatloaf. Oh, yeah. Oh. I got Nobody him. likes uh, uh, Big Tits Bob from uh, from Fight Club. Yeah, they do. Dude. You're, he's he's going to have an aneurysm. Oh, man. This guy's favorite movie is Twister. He has zero credibility with music and movies. Favorite movie, Twister. Favorite artist, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> It's fucking awesome. Dude, Tex, if you... Uh, me, if there was a forty-five, I'd hand it to you to put it in there and put a bullet through your head. No, like, Tex, there's serious, probably no reason to go on. Serious talk. This is is going to feel like an intervention. <laughs> but if you ever it sounds get like an intervention to go on to any sort of reality TV where it's like finding romance, okay? If they ask I'll be you, honest. No. Do not tell the truth. <laughs> you lie. You lie about everything. I wish we'd asked our guest... His thoughts on your favorite artist being Meatloaf and your favorite movie being Twister. He would probably be a guest. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what you got to tell him. Favorite once, artist? Once I'm on The Bachelor. Avicii? The Bachelor? Is it The Bachelorette? That's a great answer, John. Avicii <laughs> is acceptable to almost any hot babe. No, I, I like the real piano. Real music. How dare you? This has to end right now. <laughs> Because we want to get out of the show. What's uh, the, what was uh, in 40-Year-Old Virgin, what was it, Michael McDonald, when he's like... Yama be there? Yeah, he goes, I'm going to Yama burn this place to the fucking ground. <laughs> oh, dude, the other day, um, Michael McDonald, like Kate was playing something, and that song, she's like, oh, uh, my mom loves Michael McDonald, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to burn this motherfucker <laughs> to the ground, and she, and she didn't, and then I played her the clip, and she was like, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It is. That's oh. an, also another good Friday. We should wreck that. Uh, oh, we've got to write down when we say we He's like, I'm going to put my... A bicycle in your trunk. Yeah. She's like, whoa! Come put my bike in it. <laughs> Anyways, enough about us. Enough about movies. Sadly, let's get on to the guest because it is absolutely fantastic conversation with Brandon Green, who is, um, I guess, <sighs> he co-founded Keller Williams yeah. Capital. Which yes, is kind of a Huge. big deal. Kind of a big deal. He's yeah. kind of a big deal around here. He's he is probably uh, a library of many leather-bound books. That's mm-hmm. right. And uh, he comes on and, and graces us with a lot of lessons learned from literally starting, f- like... From the bottom. From the bottom, hitting the streets, knocking on doors, trying to sling some real estate into building uh, a very, very commendable, uh, well, very dare successful. I say, empire? Yeah. Uh, but very, very uh, enter- successful enterprise. And now is like, been reinventing and trying to empower business owners of all sizes to understand what the groundwork is they have to to lay to to either scale up or find themselves in a very fulfilling position. And it's I found it to be really, really cool talk. What I think he's doing is uh, trying to have the hard conversations so that people go into it. And we talked about, you know, going in with your eyes wide open and mm-hmm. being able to understand and then be able to pair up not only uh, understand your strengths, but the strengths of those around you and creating a really dynamic team. Yeah, man. It was good. It was very good. And uh, you'll enjoy it. So let's get talking with Brandon Green. Let's do it. Do it. Meatloaf. But Brandon, thanks for hopping on the show, man. Uh, I guess, why don't we start with a little bit of intro. Give us some background on you and what you're doing, and then we'll we'll steer the ship from there. 
Okay, great. Well, should we talk about my workout this morning? Or Yeah, let's do it. What'd you get? Biceps? <laughs> I figure we'll start this morning and then just work backwards. Okay, right. That's good. That's good. Actually, I did have a good workout this morning. I've been... I've been really on this kick, you know, I got a little sluggish in the spring with the, the pandemic th- situation and mm-hmm. I kicked it back into gear this summer. It's been good. Anyway. So did you, did you trim out a home gym or are you going to like, did your gym open or what? Uh, I did trim out a home gym during the, uh, the, the closing of the gym, but as soon yeah. as it reopened, I went back to the gym. I just, okay. I'm, okay. it's so much, A, it's better equipped Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and B, it's good to be around people. So I've been back there four days a week now for the last several months, which is you're been great. in DC, right? I'm in Washington DC, yeah, Are Northwest DC. You balance at Northwest? Balance no, I'm gym? in uh, Petworth Fitness. Ah, uh, never heard. Yeah, it's a smaller gym. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Bal- I used to be at Balance yeah. though. I've been, oh, I was no at Balance for years. That's great. Yeah, I managed one of their gyms way back, 2011, 12. Oh really? Which one? I may have been the. I the, I went to the the Calorama gym when it was in that church. Yeah, that was me. Oh, that CrossFit gym DuPont. sucked. Yeah, we were CrossFit Dupont in there. So we. May oh have, really, dude? We may have crossed paths. We probably have ago. actually. Yes. Did you have shorter hair then? Uh, I get yes, a haircut you did. like once a year. You had short hair. You were high and tight. Yeah, more or less. Mm. I, okay, all right. It's all coming back to me now. Like you well, look familiar. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Small world. Cool. <laughs> this is just a whole shtick, isn't it, McQuilkin? You planned this. This yeah. was a long con. In 2012, you're like, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, this guy's going <laughs> to... That guy looks like an entrepreneur. I'll wait till he makes his money, and then we'll get him on a podcast. <laughs> then they'll put him on exist. the podcast. Nobody even knew what a podcast was. <laughs> right, in October 2020. Oh, man. Anyway, you asked me a question. Maybe I should answer it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go for it. We're not really into that either. So, But no, no I'm just kidding, Brandon. Yeah, please, if you would. All right. Well, so let's see. I was uh, born in Wyoming, grew up in Iowa, which was fun. And my family's still there. And then in, in, in the 90s, when I graduated from high school, I was like, all right, I got to get out of Iowa. And, um, and just, you know, I felt like I needed to see the world. And so I actually went in a, into an international musical organization for a couple of years, toured the world, singing, dancing, having a great time, cultural exchange. And, and, uh, really had an entirely different perspective after that, as you can imagine. And uh, then came back to Iowa briefly and ended up moving to the Washington DC area in 1999 because I wanted to look for quote unquote opportunity (laughs) and um, off I went. So uh, I did not end up going to college in between all that. My intention was to go to college as soon as I got to the Washington DC area, but I ended up getting a job in sales and did really well. And this was before real estate, which is what I'm in now. Uh, And then in 2001, I thought, you know what? What I was doing at the time, which was information technology staffing sales, a lot of cold calling, just didn't really feel feel particularly fulfilling. So I ended up getting into real estate in 2001. And that's sort of the beginning of the professional journey was getting into real estate in 2001 here in Washington, D.C. Nice. And then uh, so so how has that changed since 01, I mean, I mean, that's damn near two decades. I mean, I've, I'm sure that that has Lots become of peaks a and valleys. V- yeah, very volatile experience, man. Yeah. So, I, you know, from it's been both the real estate market and real estate at a macro, though my experience in real estate has been really incredible over the last, you know, oh, I don't know, almost 20 years, I guess, at this point. So I, I started as an individual salesperson, just selling houses. And I took a lot of the skills that I had from uh, my previous 
sales job and applied him to real estate and, and door knocked the neighborhood, literally went house to house to house. And I was like, all right, if I knock on enough, on enough doors here, somebody's, somebody's going to want to sell their house. Right. And <laughs> turns out that's true, but it takes a lot of doors. Yeah. And a lot of doors so, probably slammed in your face. Yeah. I, a lot of <laughs> less slamming, but more, you know, sort of skeptical peering, like what are you? And, and, and I just, my theory was I'll kill him with kindness, give him a big smile. Right. And I'll, I'll say something nice. And, and turns out like one in a hundred responded, but I didn't need that many. And, and so that was actually a decent ratio. So I built my career on that. Eventually I went to launch a company around that as I was starting to play around with this idea in entrepreneurship, which is how far can sales get you before some other skill set has to kick in, mm-hmm. right? This, because I had an, a vision for my life and my business that was bigger than what I could individually sell. And for a long time, I was like, well, what do I do with that exactly? And, and ultimately, I ended up launching a company in 2006 and, and growing and scaling it to where we are now with about 1,000 real estate brokers in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia region over the last several years. Wow. And it just, man, just like started from the proverbial mailroom, literally beating the streets and rapping on doors and literally knocking on doors for years. And, and a lot of people say, well, how did you do I'm like, I, I mean, there wasn't a lot of how it was just, I just did. And mm-hmm. I didn't, A, I didn't have a backup plan, like no college degree, no trust fund. <laughs> it was me, myself and I, and I just knocked on doors until I made enough sales to make it work. And, and, and then I realized too, that, all right, that's, that's fun and all. And I enjoyed it. Really. I did though. It wasn't sustainable necessarily, and also seemed to be a real hard way to make a living. And and that's when I started to ask some bigger questions like, okay, so I'm clearly good at sales and I enjoy sales, but what does it mean to run a business? Is that the same thing or is that different? And if it's different, which I suspected it was, what did I need to do? Who did I need to become to become a great businessman? And, and, keep my sales skills and figure out how to bridge those over and, and use those effectively. But something else had to happen in order for me to, to achieve the scale in my life and in my business and, and create what I was imagining in my, in my mind mm-hmm. uh, over time. So how did you, how did you scratch that itch? Right? Because I imagine it's, you're not just at a crossroads where there's a fork in the road. When you get to that point, it's like there's a hundred different off ramps. So what, like, How'd you do the, the self-discovery? What, what did you do? What'd you find out that you needed to do? Well, man, I don't know. <laughs> you went to South America and did ayahuasca? I mean, isn't uh, that what all entrepreneurs do these days? Well, <laughs> well, I didn't go to South America and do ayahuasca, <laughs> but I did go to South America and buy a condo in Buenos Aires. <laughs> uh, one of our favorite places to travel to, Buenos Aires. <laughs> yes, the Maria. Uh, the only problem with Argentina is their money is so... Yeah, the currency. The currency. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, well... And in, and actually, I did do, I did do that, and that was part of the, the like the self discovery as I was trying to figure out, you know, a how far can sales take me, and 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 then b uh, what did I need to do that was a little bit different, and and how, you know ultimately it was a lot of just making a lot of mistakes because what I I came to find out was that a lot of the things that made me good in sales like independence. Uh, my ability to just drive things through my sheer will in, oh, here's my cat, Paris, through my <laughs> sheer will and, and, and personality and, and, and desire to sort of just get things done 
was all the stuff that didn't work particularly well when you started building teams, which you need to right. in business. And I figured that out the hard way by messing up a lot and hiring people and and them leaving rapidly. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you one story. So I had I had been through three assistants at this point. And this was you know, early in building the company. And finally, I was like, all right, so I've got a really good one. Welcome. To, this is Paris, by the way. What's up, Paris? Yeah. <laughs> She's going to join us the entire time. Uh, so I, I finally had a really good assistant. And I was really happy that I made a great hire. And then she came in about three months into the, into the job, and she submitted her resignation. And I was like, oh what why what and she gave me like the old pr thing like well you know i've i uh, wasn't looking but i found another opportunity and i was like oh come on like you know just give it to me straight like what what is what is really happening here and she said well to be honest uh you're a real jerk <laughs> And she didn't use the word jerk. Was it fucking asshole? Oh, okay. I wasn't Does sure if we can use that no, here on can, this program. Does it rhyme with casserole? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I've had, uh, we might have had the same assistant. <laughs> okay, good. Well, now that I know it's not a, ch a children's program. Uh, so. God help them if it is. Yeah, if you're having your children listen to Power at the Radio, God bless you. And, God bless um, you. Yeah. They'll have a sense of humor. And, uh, yeah. go fuck, and go fuck so, yourself, San Diego. That's, that's exactly what she said. And I was yeah. like, what? And I mean, at, the, at that moment, I, I did not see myself as an asshole, but I could see how she did. And I was like, oh, that's a problem. Because if that's how people see me, then how am I ever going to build enough people around me to do all the things that I really want to have done that I could see could, could be part of this company and so on and so forth. So that was a real moment for me. I was like, well, I think this whole thing called my leadership skills needs some improvement. Mm -hmm. And I ended up hiring a coach and, and have been with coaches ever since to just evolve my own ego and figure out what the balance is between ambition and teamwork and, and ego and humility. And how do you create the the essence of all of those things in the business versus a trade-off, which is what most people do, right? They're like, well, I can have either this or that. I'm like, no, to run a great business and build a pretty successful situation, it's a lot of and. And it's not as linear as one might think. It's you've got to really build things simultaneously. So that that was an early like aha moment. Like how do I build something of scale? I need to treat people better. Mm -hmm. And and how do I go about doing that? But I mean was it it's not like you're intentionally treating them bad per se. I'd imagine like with that ax to the grindstone mentality, you kind of project your values onto them and you get this like unrealistic expectation of them perhaps. And then that's what kind of drives the wedge or no? That's part of it. I, though I think there were two other distinct thought patterns going on in my head at the time. One was, you know, secretly like I can actually do things better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that was my, you know, like, well, yeah, everyone and, and knows it, that. Right. And, right. <laughs> and, it, and every entrepreneur has this, right. <laughs> every entrepreneur has that, that little voice or not so little voice that says, you know, at the end of the day, I'm actually better at all this shit around here than anybody else is. So I may as well just do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there was that. And, and a really good mentor of mine said, well, two things. One, that's actually not true. So it would be helpful for you to begin to distinguish what you're really good at and what you're not and, and what you're just so-so at. So just you know, know that nobody's good at everything. So take that for granted. And second is in the context of delegation, which is really what I was trying to figure out, 
if you can get somebody to do it at 80% of what you think you could, it's highly likely it's worth delegating. So instead of trying to achieve for 100% like you would do it, or exactly the, the, the outcome you'd want, can you get 80% and, and what would be sufficient for 80%? So that was one, right? And, and then the other was I needed to uh, honor the roles in my company that were the roles I didn't want to do and felt were beneath me. And, 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 is, and that sounds terrible, but that's how I was th- like operations and administrative work. I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that shit. I got to hire somebody to do that. Well, by minimizing that work, I was forgetting that, that that kind of work, which I'm not naturally geared for, is exactly the opportunity somebody else with a different behavioral profile style is looking for as their opportunity. So if I'm minimizing it as like shit work on the side, then, then who am I going to attract to that job? Like nobody that's going to love it. So I was like, oh, all the stuff that stresses me out that I don't like is the opportunity for someone else who's wired different than me. I just need to find that match. And as soon as I do, like somebody takes the messes I make as an entrepreneur and is like, oh, this is fantastic. Let me figure out how to organize all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, right. So it, those two thought patterns had to shift. And, and, and it, I wish I could say it just happened overnight. It didn't. It happened over years of messing up with people and, and unfortunately leaving some people behind. I mean, we, we, there were a lot of things we did well, but we, uh, we also left a lot of people behind as we grew. Is it because um, as an entrepreneur, you start looking for people that are similar to you and you want to surround yourself with people that have like this similar mindset, similar drive. And uh, I mean, like that's so it's funny. Somebody said, um, if you're looking for a version of yourself, then like you're never going to be successful. You have to find people that, uh, you know, have strengths that you don't and then bring those people in and then let them be strong. And I think that's like an interesting piece because when you start something, you're just looking for people you can get along with and you tend to get along with people that are very similar to you and people that you'd want to hang out with and being like, Oh, you like the same things I do. You have similar interests. We should do this together instead of looking and being like, I need to find somebody that wants to do all the shit I don't want to do. Yeah. It's both a camaraderie thing as we're building organizations and teams. We we want like our, our friends with us and people at least think like us and that's fun. It it's also though really a function thing where as the business scales and grows, it legitimately needs other things from other people. And if we don't figure that out relatively quickly and figure out how to relate to those people that we wouldn't naturally be hanging out with, then it becomes really difficult to build anything beyond that solo entrepreneur gig, which is where most entrepreneurism is. And it's, it's a wonderful place to be, by the way. I, I love solo entrepreneurism. Though, if you want to go beyond that, you have to start to figure out this other thing and, and figure out how to deal with the humans. And, and they're a little crazy, to be honest. Well, I was going to say, you're in an extremely insane business for the fact that you're dealing with real estate when especially in the dc area and i'm sure the company you're working with is high net worth individuals Mm -hmm. and uh i like uh you know uh we lived in newport beach and uh then we moved out here to austin texas a couple years ago but like when we were uh like in that whole process of selling a home i mean i would get a daily knock on the door from somebody trying to buy my house and literally a dude knocked on my door and bought our house Wow. Then, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was like, hey, uh, I like your house uh, and, and wrote a check and we were literally gone. And that's how we got to Texas. Um, but <laughs> don't forget about that rental era of your oh, life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to forget that. Well, we sold the house and we were trying to find a house here. So we had to rent a house uh-huh. and, and it was an uh, absolute fucking disaster. Because kids, young kids, right? Like, what's well, cash we had young, yeah, we had young kids, but um, they didn't have any gutters on their house, which I, I thought was extremely weird. 
And I even said to him, I'm like, you guys don't have any gutters. Like, there's going to be, like, like what's going on here? And I, I even pointed out, I'm like, you have a huge gap underneath your garage door. And I pointed out all these things at a homeowner. Oh, no, 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 we've never had any problems. Of course, rats get in and just, like, because we moved all their, they, oh, yeah, they, they rented it furnished. Right? Well, they, they rented the house furnished, but we still had our stuff. So we moved their beds into the garage. And I even said to him, hey, you got a gap underneath your door. This is a problem. No, 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 it's not a problem. We put all the <laughs> shit... Rats got in there, ate all of their bedding, all of their stuff, and we go to move Ugh. back in. Uh, delivery guy, the uh, Amazon driver, backs up, hits their garage door and dents it. And then I like a week later, they're like, oh, the garage door is dented. I'm like, what? After we moved out, the neighbors saw you hit it. And I'm like, just get the fuck out of here. Like, just send That's me a bill. Go find but the, um, <laughs> the, the thing that I've realized is when you get into especially like high net worth individuals and kind of like these eclectic, really high end areas, the people are fucking insane. And I'm sure you deal like uh, probably your job is probably um, managing the insanity of uh, extremely stressed out home buyers and home sellers. 100%. As a matter of fact, like just this morning, I got a knock on the door of my house here at 830 in this, mo- this morning with a, <clears throat> a process server serving me notice of a lawsuit. <laughs> oh, that's always a good day. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, well, good morning. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to come in for a coffee? Yeah. I think, I mean, I already knew about it. And, and so I was particularly friendly with the guy, which threw him off. I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you want me to sign this? Anyway, so the, the reality is, yeah, like you, you, it, whether it's real estate or any other business, at some point you get to this place in growth where this thing called risk management comes into play. And it's just, it's, most entrepreneurs don't get into business thinking, gosh, I wonder what our risk management strategy is going to be this year, right? It's not how, and yet you do have to start to think about that. How do you manage more complicated transactions and situations and individuals and insurance and litigation and all that sort of stuff? That's part of being a business owner. We don't talk a lot about that, but that's that's part of being a business owner, 100%. So I'm thinking in the paradigm of like the small gym owner. And yeah. one thing we, we just had a podcast about, if we could do it over again, right? And mm. there is this tipping point where you go like... The, the comfort level of the solopreneur, the the single entrepreneur, it really starts to erode because there's this desire for growth, but this like, I can't find anyone to do these jobs type deal. And uh, you start to really question whether or not offloading and paying is worth that investment, right? Whether it's another coach perhaps, or like business administrator, or, you know, maybe you, you outsource some sales support type stuff or a new website, like all these things that you're pitched by these companies or like maybe even your members who are in real business Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Uh, so, how, like, w- what are some techniques as you as you got as you knew you were going to scale? Mm-hmm. Did you always imagine you were scaling up to like enterprise level, or did you kind of lay out the dominoes to okay, well, we're starting with a small team here, and like you said, there's probably start with that assistant piece, and there was some learning curves there. But like, what was that first move for mm-hmm. you, and like, how did you evaluate that? What did you learn from that? Yeah, so let's let's talk about gyms and in that in that context because I, I I have been investing in a lot of other kinds of businesses lately outside of real estate and I've had a few opportunities to evaluate some gym investments here locally, and and of course I'm a huge <laughs> gym fanatic. So <clears throat> uh, in the context of entrepreneurism and gyms, I think there if I'm a gym owner and I'm listening right now, there are a couple things that I would be trying to make a decision around. 
The first one is in this area of growth, which you're speaking to. I do believe that that service-based businesses like a gym, and maybe they've got some products, have to make a judgment call about scale and decide, am I going to be like one gym or two gyms, or am I going to be 20 gyms because or more? The, the problem that gyms run into and a lot of entrepreneurs and similar businesses do, and I certainly felt this pain dramatically, is at one or two locations, or maybe even three, you as the entrepreneur can still kind of keep your hands around things and, and still sort of visit the locations when there's problems and, and deal with issues as they come up. When you get beyond three, it becomes entirely impossible to manage without clear systems, and an executive leadership structure, which is an entirely different game. Not only is it a different game from a leadership style and, a, and, and execution, it's also a different game from a profit margin standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I would propose that most entrepreneurs probably should really look at their one or two or three locations and be happy with that and figure out how to maximize that and maybe get into other things like buying real estate, as an example, to build their wealth. Because uh, entrepreneurs get in this like four, five, six, seven locations, and it all of a sudden starts to collapse. We see this in businesses all around. And, and for us, when we got to office number four, we felt the pain of that big time. And we ended up sliding backwards for about three years until we got our systems in place and allowed us to scale beyond that. So uh, on top of that, the pandemic, let's talk, right, the, the impact of the pandemic on the gym business. But I, I would say any gym owner right now should be thinking, Uh, Do I have a truly identifiable brand and value proposition and set of systems that would allow me to grow? Or should I maximize the margin, make a half a million dollars a year and keep my operations tight and deploy my ambition around growth into some other areas and allow my core business to be what it actually is? Mm. Yeah, and I'd say the scale of, I don't want to say most, but a good chunk of the, the small gym owners here they're probably not approaching that half million mark. Well, you mean, um, well, well, most of them I think are, uh, like single box gyms, like single, yeah. like, you know, like, like kind of uh, like the CrossFit style setup. Yeah. Yeah. I the think, CrossFit's- you Go know, ahead. uh, the issue we run into, and I especially think coming out of the CrossFit market where there was this kind of laissez faire, almost like, you know, the market will adjust and you don't need systems, just get some PVC, charge people some money, lift some weights. And I think just because of the, I guess you could say like the birthing process, the ethos of CrossFit was kind of like, fuck it, we'll do it live. And there was never a big stress on like, uh, you know, company directive of putting business systems in place. Because as you start the gym, I mean, we saw this, I think the day one you open the door, like he said, like you have to make a decision, like what's our goal here? Is it just to have a really finely tuned, well-maximized gym that maybe we're making some ancillary income through selling shoes or products or whatnot, or do we want to try to create something that's scalable and and, um, like replicatable? And if that's the case and you have to invest on the infrastructure on the front side, I opened a gym just because I purely wanted the place to lift weights uh, and train. And next thing I know, we had people coming, and then I realized, who are these people? John, these are the members. Who are they? What do they want? (laughs) I didn't want the members. And then I realized, I just wanted my own private gym. Yeah. So what we did is we rented a, a little warehouse space down the street from the gym, moved all the good equipment over there, and that was became our office, and that was the most magical thing. And then I realized, I never really wanted gym. I just wanted a dope place to lift weights. 
yeah. that nobody else could fuck with my stuff. Right. And, and at that point, I realized, I'm like, man, I shouldn't necessarily be in the actual brick-and-mortar gym business. What we really do is, is you know, incredible information technologies and, uh, you know, being able to help develop uh, fitness technologies and do podcasts and programming and education and all the things that help support these individuals. But um, I really didn't want to deal with the average gym goer on the day-to-day basis. Well, yeah, and I think something like that is a good example of, uh, you know, different different personality types like to do different things. What you're talking about, to me, sounds a lot about an entrepreneur who's driven from the passion of the work itself, right? You you love fitness, you love working out, and then whoop, here came other people. Like, what is that? A lot of entrepreneurs start that way, yeah. and and that's a you can make a really good living in that direction, certainly. Though, if you wanted to make a bigger living, then you'd have to go into becoming a businessman, which is not actually what a lot of entrepreneurs have signed up for, yeah. to be honest. Well, well the, the other one too, and I think that there's, um, there's always, and you, you alluded to it earlier in the conversation, there's this like software human element that you can't necessarily uh, like account for. So uh, what we ran into, at least in the gym business, is we would have people that would come and train with us, be making like incredible PRs and making all these gains and then just quit. And you'd be like, what do you mean? We're we're just getting started here. And they'd be like, I'm good. I don't want to do it anymore. And I Uh remember like feeling wronged and being like, wait a minute. And I, I told somebody this, the day that I wanted it more for my clients and they wanted it for themselves, it was time for me to move on. And uh, like I, I was taking all this stuff personally and I'm like, all this is doing is negatively affecting me as an individual right. because people aren't as serious about this stuff. Like, eh, it was okay. And I was like, man, like this has been my life. Like this is what I do. And like, we've made some incredible strides. Like, why don't you value this in the same way? Right. They, they hit a plateau and they're like, I think this is good. Not, of course, not realizing that you can't just like sustain that. You have to keep going or you slide backwards. But I can imagine as somebody passionate about that, you're like, Really? Where, oh. what? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it, it blew my mind. So then I realized um, the other thing we, I, I think I personally ran into was, uh, let's say we had you know anywhere like uh, 120, 150 members and anywhere from 75 to 80 a day came through the gym. I only got an opportunity to influence those individuals. What we found was that if we wanted to make a bigger splash, we were going to have to influence the people that were influencing, you know, step away kind of orders of magnitude. So getting in and actually educating the coaches, and then they go educate uh, educate 200 people. So how big a splash do you want? Do you want just a local puddle splash, or do you want like a big global splash? I love that. Defining the impact that you want. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what do you imagine? And I, I actually think that if if all of us as entrepreneurs were to take a little bit more time to define more clearly what we actually want, like really want, and that, and that takes some deep work and more thoughtfulness and sometimes more time than we imagine. We would ultimately build better businesses because we'd have a clear line of sight at the beginning, and and I you know now as I'm launching some new endeavors, I've really slowed things down to say let's clarify at the beginning where are we actually going with this, and and then how do we align our decisions and our strategy, our mission, our vision, our, our systems based on that vision, not well let's see what happens. That tends to not work out so well. I feel like you jumped ahead and answered a question I was going to ask, but in line with risk management for the business, we could say the 2008 financial crisis or COVID in gyms for the business side, but what about gym owner burnout or business owner burnout, entrepreneurial burnout? And if setting up that vision in the beginning, does that something that protects you from this burnout 
is it too late to now create this vision if a gym owner listener has not yet? What are yeah. some other tools to help prevent this burnout of 80 hour weeks plus? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wish it would prevent it, but it tends to not. I think we end up still hitting that burnout regardless. And the question is, what do you do about it? And and I, I think COVID for, for a lot of us accelerated maybe a burnout that we were already experiencing to a degree, or certainly highlighted things that we weren't happy about. So what do we do with it? Usually, what I have found for myself and in our company is burnout is really identifying a couple different things. One is it's usually the loss of the sight of why we're doing what we're doing and that we've gotten really, really focused on what we do and how we do it. But we've really kind of, we're like, I don't even know why I'm doing it anymore. And the what and the how is overwhelming me. And especially if somebody's working 80 hours a week, it's possible that the stuff that they found fun isn't the stuff that they're focusing on anymore because the business just has so many problems. And inevitably, if you're successful, you're going to have more problems. <laughs> and, and burnout usually comes when your ratio of opportunities and problems gets flipped and you're spending most of your time on problems and not enough time on opportunities. I would so feel that's a big one. The tricky thing there is like, isn't it like, that's kind of like a subjective analysis, isn't it? So how, like, are there, do you have any tips or techniques for someone like, I'm just trying to think back to, yep. again, running the gym. And it wasn't, if, if I'm telling you, Brandon, it felt like everyone wore these, like, bad pills. But it was really, like, two or three. So, like, how can you monitor and make an objective call to maybe recalibrate your thinking uh, if, well, if you are, like, a, a seasoned business owner? Well, I, I think two thoughts. One is actually how you feel about it, whether it's, whether it's based on data or not is, is the most important. So if you're feeling like you're overwhelmed with it, then you are. Mm -hmm. And second is when I go to invest in a business and I, I sense that the entrepreneur is burned out. The first thing I'm looking for is who is actually running operations around here. And are they a naturally born operator? Because mm -hmm. every entrepreneur, when they get to a certain spot, needs somebody to handle all that stuff. And, and missing that person accelerates burnout and causes people to hit a wall. So, Burnout is usually one of two things. One is you've lost sight of why you're doing what you're doing anyway. And you, and you need probably some professional help <laughs> with a coach to like bring you back to the vision of why you got into the business and fitness of uh, fitness to begin with and what, what joy you actually find out of it. The other is a tactical uh, element of the, an operational element of the business, a tactical strategy part, which is who is actually handling operations here so that all of these problems and issues and calls can go to somebody for whom they're excited about that, right? It's back to getting the right team on the bus. So for example, in our organization, we do, we've got a couple amazing operators and they get energized by the problems and all the, all the minutia and all the emails and all of the stuff that has to be done. They're like more, more, more. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, right. So the calibration of that is really important in the business. And so if a, if a business owner is just like, I'm burned out, then why are you doing what you're doing to begin with? And let's reassess that. And then let's look at your team around you and see who can you bring on, even if it's a virtual assistant. It doesn't have to be a full-time hire, you know, working 40 hours a week. It could be somebody just taking a lot of that stuff off of your plate virtually. That can begin to give you enough air to reassess the business strategically and get better clarity 
on the next few years as to why you want to stay in the business that you're in now, if you do. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to backpedal. Before, that was Sorry. a good question, Tex. No worries. Uh, you know, you talked about the kind of like the entrepreneur or like the passion project becoming a business, right? Becoming that businessman. Um, let's say we got some young gym. Cause I, I don't want to like, I feel like sometimes we unintentionally frame this as like, don't Stay you dare. Billy Madison. Don't you no, see that? But it's not. I it's feel not. like we do like, if we do that, I, and I feel like, uh, that's a bad message to it give. Is. I think what we try to provide for people is you need to go into everything with your eyes wide open instead of like, yeah, like um, in a, another life, I did uh, um, construction insurance for these projects in Mexico where people were refining homes here in the United States and then pulling the money out and then building these homes in Mexico. And there was this whole deal I got brought into. And uh, people would show up with this like amazing dirt in a dream is what I called it. I'm going to build this place. And like they didn't understand that like you're in Mexico. And the reason there's construction insurance is because 70% of everything gets stolen. Uh, you have to have a manager on site that like isn't the project manager. He's the dude that making sure the project manager doesn't steal everything. So there was all of these like things that we necessarily couldn't put on paper that we knew we were going to happen that like you try to tell the people, I'm like, Hey, like this is how business is done in Mexico. Like mm-hmm. I know you're coming into it for, for this U S ideal and you see this dirt on the ocean, you're going to build this amazing place, but like, it's going to go over budget. It's going to go over like they're guaranteeing you this, but they're lying to you. And we need you just to understand. And people couldn't wrap their head around that. And so I always think with like the business stuff, especially like with the gym, if you can go into it with your eyes wide open on like what's going to happen. And I think that's what we try to provide to people. Like Mm -hmm. don't not do it, but don't go in with like rosy intentions with rose colored glasses. Yeah. Coaching in and of itself, whether it's adult fitness or youth sports or, you know, what pick your lane in the, the, the proverbial fitness vertical, uh, it's a noble, it's a noble service and it's necessary and it's empowering. It's all these things like you're unlocking realities for people that they couldn't find otherwise themselves. Right. So like, I'm not trying to downplay that, but what I'm, what is interesting is going in with that intent and blindly hitting that and growing and feeling successful. And then one day waking up realizing, Oh shit, I got to be a business person is like, you're, you're blindsided by that. Right. So if there's like a, a perhaps a younger business, uh, younger coach here who's in it, like in that passion space, are there tools or things to consider now early on to determine if you've got the chops to to put that businessman hat on, so to speak? Uh, to a degree, yeah, I think to a degree, and I'll give you some ideas. And at the same time, I would say. I, I wish we all learned that way, but we tend to learn the hard way, which is we go forward and we hit a wall and we're like, damn, what was that? Meanwhile, people in our life are like, we've been telling you there was going to be a wall here for the last, and yet we hit it anyway. And I, I think that's okay. We have to acknowledge that you know, it's, you're, you're going to learn and grow through just messing things up. And, and so you have to grow enough thick skin to be able to take a hit and keep on going and lose, lose your gym members because you changed the programming and your membership went down by 25% and two months and be like, well, that's a problem. And then readjusting and growing your membership. Like you have to just do stuff. Right. So, so I would say, don't spend a whole lot of time trying to think about that. You've got to move forward. That being said, there are some very clear skills that are required that if somebody's starting an enterprise, a gym, and their their vision is to grow something of substance and scale, they may as well get going learning these skills. 
And, and one of the biggest skills is managing people. It, it doesn't matter how many systems you have or even how online your business is. At a certain point, you have to get really good managing other humans. And so you may as well start working on that now because that's not a class. That is an experience. That is somebody coming up and, and saying, you know what? You're an asshole. And you're going, what? It, it, and like learning from that and then moving forward. So if I could do it over again, and although I, I hate that phrase because I tend to be very uh, happy with the journey I've had, even all the bumps and bruises, I would say maybe I could tell my younger self, like, start to work through the recipe of, of managing teams and, and bringing people collectively along a vision and not being the hero, but being the guide and, and collectively saying, hey, this is where we're all going and finding people for whom that's the journey they want to take too. And they get the things they want out of their life by joining the collective journey. And then you start to build something together. So I think that that awareness and bringing that, that uh, like, I got to deal with more people awareness early on in entrepreneurship will really serve people well. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think how you would like facilitate that in the small, I guess, like you said, even if it's like um, for shits and giggles, taking on a virtual assistant, right? That, that is, that's dabbling in it. It's relatively low cost. You know what I mean? And then you, you ultimately dictate the terms of that experiment, right? Like it's not, they're not coming to you saying like, well, here's all I do. You're saying here's specifically what I need you to do. And then it gives you an opportunity to maybe work within that space. Right. So I, what do you, what do you do with that? I'd say two things. One, work on the articulation of your vision and, and see if you can get other people excited about that journey and, and excited about how that makes them feel beyond what you do at the gym and the product that you're delivering, the service you deliver, or how you do it, how you do it and what you do incidentally is not all that unique. Why you do what you do is incredibly unique. And, it, and, and the challenge with that though, is articulating why you do what you do is a nuanced exercise, but the best brands in the world have figured out how to, artic- how to articulate that. So as a leader in a company, as an entrepreneur, I would be working the articulation of my mission and vision and testing it on people to see both my members, potential team members, like, do people get excited about it? Does, who's, who's my group that wants to, to get, get some of this vision I've got? So that's one thing. The second is I would start experimenting with the humans <laughs> and, 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 and hire someone in a virtual capacity to begin with and learn the relationship of, of taking expectations out of your head and translate them into somebody else so that they do something with it and produce a result that comes back to you that you're like, oh yeah, that's what I was imagining in my head. That process of it's in my head, it needs to get into somebody else's head who has to do it and loop back to me. And I have to agree that that's what I was imagining that's a skill set. And that just takes a lot of time to build that up. Now, there's a lot of great books and lots of courses you could take, but there's just no substitution for trying it out and getting somebody to say, you know what, you're a terrible manager. And you saying, let me be open-minded to the feedback there and, and figure out specifically what they're talking about so that I can make a better decision next time around. And be patient with yourself and know that over time, you can build a really good team, but you got to start and, and, and start managing people and articulating that vision and testing that out. Mm-hmm. And you'll know if you're doing it right, because the business will grow. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't grow or it starts to really stale, then, then that's the market giving you feedback that one of those two things or both are off. It's good stuff. I'm, 
I'm thinking of our, our friend Harry Shaw. Oops, oh wait, no names. No names. H. Shaw. Harry. That's Harry too S. obvious. Harry S. Harry S. Uh, he's, he has <laughs> shared with me, I don't know if he shared with you, like he's kind of come to this realization and he's, he's feeling it. And I don't know if it, because the COVID thing's kind of tricky in the gym space now. So I don't know if the growth can be focused on a kind of like a, a short scale to financially, but like there's a sense of growth in his team. You know what I mean? Like people just feel like they're getting bigger, getting better, not bigger, literally, but like just having a better experience overall. Well, I think growth in the gym space right now is fascinating. I'm seeing one of two things happen. Uh, some of the, on one hand, there are gyms that they came out of the gate in March or April when things were getting shut down and said, we're going to innovate and adapt, move everything online and try to figure it out, even if it's going to be really awkward and, and probably not very effective, but they did it anyway. And then you've got the group of gyms that were, were stunned and a bit lost. And maybe they, they got into that online game come June or July. And, and now fast forward to the fall, one group is much further ahead <clears throat> than the other. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think the, the lesson in that is whenever there's disruption, whether it's um, you know, such a huge disruption as COVID or even just a mini disruption like your manager leaves, that's a huge opportunity that requires speed to action, even if you're not 100% sure what you need to do. So if you're one of those gyms that did experiment and you're getting ahead, congratulations. The win for you this year is just staying in business. That's actually the win this year. Yeah. The win in the gym business and in many service businesses is you survive 2020. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people won't. And, and those that don't, you're going to eat their market share on the back end. Mm -hmm. So 2021 may be still going to be rough, but come 2022, look out. So I'm a gym owner. I'm like, I'm going to survive 2020. I'm going to survive 2021 by negotiating a good deal with my landlord, figuring that out. Cause for most gym owners, like that's the Achilles heel is the lease. Sure. Like figure that out and make it through the next year or two. And you're going to, you're going to scale for those that got a little far behind you better have a plan to get ahead again because your competitors are eating your lunch and you just don't even know it yet, but that's going to show up soon. Man, that was always the big pain point, especially in running the gym, uh, was not owning the mm -hmm. real estate. Like I felt like we were just beholden to not only like the, the, the landlord and like the yeah. neighbors and whatnot, but that you just yeah. couldn't control your destiny. I remember when we originally signed our lease, it was like 75 cents a square foot. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, they came to me and they were like, Hey, we want like a buck 10. And I realizing like, you know, my, my wife um, worked for BlackRock and as a, um, an MBA in real estate management. So I had her chart all this stuff. And she's like, lock this thing in for five years because in six, if you don't own the gym and you don't have enough money war chested to buy a place, it, it's going to be uh, unattainable to run a gym the way you're running it. And so I locked in the gym and then I ended up selling it and I locked Ben in and he was like, you locked me in for five years. And I'm like, you're going to be thanking me. Mm -hmm. And now he's Geez, I think he's like over two bucks. Yeah, but I haven't asked. Part, part of our, uh, when we were in Newport Beach, I had three commercial spaces, um, you know, or um, yeah, I had three commercial spaces. So part of the move out here was to actually contain everything on Power Athlete Ranch. So where we are is in, uh, on my property where our gym and everything that we have is encased here. Cause I was like, man, I've burned so much money and put so much dough in other people's pockets over the year. I would like to be able to be the master of my own destiny a little bit. And I think a lot of gym owners, when they get into it, don't understand that piece. Like it looks unattainable, 
But I remember if I would go back into this thing, I'd be like, man, like I want to go into a place that I could potentially buy or at least work towards that instead of getting into something that, you know, in five years after as my gym is humming, then all of a sudden the manager or the landlord sees it and raises uh, rates and I'm get screwed on this. Yeah. And then it's a subway a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about real estate for a second in that context? Let's do it. So, so, um, two, two thoughts uh, or one, one example and then several thoughts. So in Washington, DC, when I moved here, there was a gym and Tex, you might remember this results gym results yes. was a, uh, you remember? Yeah. It was a really big gym and had a really, at uh, least a really big, nice warehouse location uh, at 16th between 16th and 17th in U street in Northwest DC. I, I might say, although I have no idea what their financials were, I didn't know the owner, but from my perception as a member, when I looked at the competitive landscape, they probably were one of the most, if not the most successful gym in Washington, D.C. for a number of years. Well, the building was actually owned by someone who decided to get into the gym business. Oh. Oh. And when that lease came due, they kicked that business out and opened a gym. That looked and- just like their business. <laughs> And I, and I, I think there may have even been a legal battle. I don't know. Don't quote me for sure. But it, uh, for a number of years, you could tell that Results was trying to find a location and move their concept somewhere else. And Vita, which is the name of the company that moved in there, uh, was really growing rapidly and took over that space. Today, Results, not there. Not like, Vitas I, are I, booming. Vitas are all over the place. Vita cannibalized that business because they own the real estate. There may have been other things and other reasons too, but make no mistake, because results lease ran out, they lost their business. So if I'm in the gym business, so that's kind of the sad story. Let me tell you the opportunity, (laughs) right? So if I'm going to open a gym, uh, like you're saying, uh, John, that people are not particularly attentive to how do I fund the opening with the purchase of a piece of real estate? Because they're thinking, how do I fund the operations of getting my gym up and running? I would challenge every gym owner to say, if I don't solve the real estate piece, I don't really have a business unless it's going to be entirely online. And the good news is, is there's a lot of people who would be much more interested in investing in a commercial piece of real estate that happens to have a gym in it than would be interested in investing in a gym. That might be your members already. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I would, I would actually take, it's harder because you got to find something to buy, but I would take longer and work harder to package a deal where I was opening a gym or expanding a gym that included the commercial real estate that I would buy and, and, and use that as leverage to better the investment. You're going to get a lot better terms and a lot more attractive and interested investors. If you've got commercial real estate on top of the operating business and you're going to get better terms from a bank, it, people don't realize it is a much better deal to do that. So focus on buying the real estate. I'll give you a quick structure. Most banks will will uh, fund the real estate with a small business loan of 70 to 80% of the value of the commercial real estate. That means that you as the owner need to go fundraise, you know, 30% of the total cost of the gym. So if it's a million bucks, right? You know, you're going to get 700,000, maybe even $800,000 in financing. You're going to need to go raise a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, which is probably what you were going to need to do anyway to open much of a of a gym in an urban area. Now, with a little bit more dough, using a small business loan as leverage, you've got the real estate. 
harder on the front end, but secures your future on the back end. Yeah, no, I would, um, the thought of be, being beholden to these different, uh, you know, groups and where we were in Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, there's like two companies that own like 95% of the entire area. C- CBRE? Right? Uh, that, no, it was, or... um, it was uh, uh, Cardinal Developers was uh, the one guy. And then the other guy was uh, like the slumlords that we dealt with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these two groups. And the, the crazy part is <laughs> these guys had basically got together and started buying real estate in the 60s. And then, you know, like brought in partners that had things and then created these two kind of re- competitive real estate deal. And the, the hilarious part is they were all Prop 13, which in California, uh, your property taxes got froze in 1976 or, or no, it was 78 maybe. Um, so all these properties were purchased pre and because they had never transferred sale, but they'd been put together within these funds, they still were paying, you know, whatever their property taxes were in 1978. And, uh, uh, and then they basically depreciated these places down to zero. So, I mean, they were just these amazing cash flow deals. And I remember I ended up, uh, the guy who owned Cardinal, I went and met with him and sat down and I was like, lay this thing out to me. He's like, I like to play volleyball, but my husband's or sorry, my wife's father owned all this real estate and I just kind of inherited this company and he kind of took me through. He's like, it's all prop 13 real estate. We don't sell anything. If we acquire something, it's uh, we don't actually purchase. We go to the owner and we bring them into our fund. I mean, I was like, God damn it. This is amazing. And then it's like people are bitching about Trump's $750 uh, tax payment. And I'm like, these dudes haven't paid taxes in years on these places. And uh, yeah, it's hugely powerful. Yeah. If I, if I'm getting into the gym business or I'm, I'm in it, I'm thinking, that I need to make a decision. Am I a businessman or am I, or am I a practitioner? If I'm a practitioner, that's cool, but that's going to limit your scale. You probably don't even need to worry about the real estate thing. If I'm a businessman I and I'm a gym owner, you're actually in four businesses. You're in the real estate business. You're in the, the services business at your gym, whatever that looks like. You're in the virtual services business because I believe every gym going forward is going to need to have a virtual component. And you're in the products business. What are you selling? Yeah. And all of that was wrapped around a brand identity that needs to uniquely articulate why you do what you do, not what you do, because that's not so unique, mm-hmm. why you do what you do. And then you, then I think we got some legs. So I'm excited for the fitness business, actually. I think it's being reinvented as we speak. And a year from now, it's going to look very different than it even does now. The uh, Then I've told Luke this story. So before I, I got into the gym business, I looked, uh, I went and I kind of just viewed, visited a bunch of people that were kind of singular entrepreneurs kind of setups. And I uh, went and checked out this one guy's gym who actually wanted me to invest in it, which probably would have been smart. But when I kind of asked him, I'm like, hey, can you explain to me the cash flow, how this whole thing works? He like pointed to these like drink machines. He's like, you see these drink, these drink machines over here? It's like three to five bucks for like a protein drink. And they're in these kind of drinks. He's like, I make triple the money out of these drink machines than I make on this entire place. Mm. He's like, I make more money. The way I make my money is selling supplements and drinks. And he's like, I bring the people in and he goes, I, I, I charge, um, the way he did it is he charged a fee for a trainer to have a space to train his private clients. He's like, I, I charge them X. They can train as many people as they want. The only caveat is that every person has to buy a drink as they leave. And it was, it was an incredible deal, man. Everybody's like, Hey, make sure you get your drink. And like, sure enough, these people went over and I'm watching these drink machines. He's like, I fill them 10 times a day. It's, I sit and watch these things like, like cash machines. Yeah. And what it taught me was that, um, like there's a lot of non-traditional ways to make money in the gym business, like whether through supplements, the drinks and this, I mean, there's a lot of untraditional ways. You just have to be creative and figure it out. And if it's just getting people in the door with a cheaper rate, but yeah, you can sell them something ancillary on the backside, then that makes sense in his business model.
You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes one through three. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. Yeah, I, I suspect that the business model of I'm going to personal, I'm going to be a personal trainer, you know that that's got a lot of limits. I mean, it always has, right? Though it, now even more so. So having these multiple streams of income, if you're going to have a gym, are really really important if you're going to sustain that business and grow it over time. Yeah. Hmm. So what are you seeing in terms of the biggest pain point for the gym owners today? Like what? because we're now several months into this COVID crisis. What, what is showing up for people as some of the biggest challenges? It kind of varies, right? It varies by location and regulation. So some people are still feeling the capacity issues. Mm. Um, like California. Yeah, some are also battling uh, the fear of the potential client as well. Yeah, And I think there's a little bit of paralysis, uh, maybe not paralysis, but like there's a lot of activity around just doing something Mm -hmm. and not maybe focusing efforts on whether or not it's like getting new clients or getting more out of your clients. Or like you said, like maybe the facilities is the friction point in the growth or sustainability of the business. So I think it's maybe nailing down the next move would be Mm -hmm. my suspicion. But there's some of our guys too are just like, they're owning it. You know what I mean? They're like, okay, these are the new, this is the new playing field. So I got to play within it and let, so let's play some ball. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I know. I think if that the people that are question. doing that are doing ahead. I think the people that are kind of stuck in like hoping that things will go back to how they used to be are gonna just mm-hmm. fucking wither and die. The people that are like, okay, hey, like, um, and I hate, I hate the term new normal. It's just every time I heard it, like, I get this visceral response. I but, I, but I think this idea of like a new landscape has been created, and landscapes change versus you know versus erosion over time, or like with an explosion. We saw kind of a change of uh, landscape with an explosion and your ability to navigate that landscape and how well you do it, like that's going to dictate your success. Hoping the landscape goes mm-hmm. back isn't going to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess going into what was the common thread and gap in the gyms that were like their focus was client acquisition, right? New client acquisition is this overall umbrella of marketing. Right. And it goes back, in my opinion, I'm not a marketer for the record, but the fundamentals make sense that what you do, like you're not doing anything different than every other freaking gym out there. I mean, maybe there's, you know, shades of gray in there, but coming back to the why, what makes you unique? What's your story? Can you tell it in a compelling way? Something that that sparks interest in somebody who who's looking for, uh, you know, because at the time with the CrossFit thing, there was a lot of, there's a very tumultuous point where their leadership maybe didn't, uh, how, basically their their former CEO was like a yeah. real prick. Were you tracking that? I was tracking that. Okay, cool. So like, uh, and then there's a like major this, fucking asshole. So there's this. Yeah, I was going to say a real prick is a really nice. <laughs> yeah, no, major yeah. fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he's, he's in his own little cesspool. But the, when we, when some of our gyms who carry that CrossFit banner were, um, were questioning whether or not they want to support the organization, it's like, right. well, what do, if I'm not CrossFit, who am I? And I think yeah. that, that who am I question or why am I doing this? It's that exercise that it stymies some of the smaller business owners because they are probably identify more as practitioners and haven't opened up or done the self work to realize what their own personal, how their values are projected through their business and to like beat that war drum because that's, what's going to attract people. Right. Completely. And, and you know, what I hear in that is I'm working right now with um, a brand consultant. His name is rich Keller. And he's incredibly insightful about brand development and what he's been talking to me about that I think is completely relevant to what you're saying is that where the world is already and is certainly moving to is how we're valuing the brand over the services that are being provided and what they're actually doing. The CrossFit example is a, is a fantastic example of both the value of the brand and then what happens when the brand image gets damaged, right? In this case, because of the owner of that brand and look how quickly it fell. And then all of a sudden, all these gyms that had the CrossFit brand were like, I don't want to be attached to uh, somebody who says those things or believes those things because I believe something different, which called in the next question was, well, what do you believe? (laughs) That's the heart of the brand. So I think that this COVID time for gyms and every business has given us all an opportunity to be reflective about our brands, both our personal brands as as professionals and entrepreneurs, uh, aside from our business brands, but also our business brands. And it gets to the heart of why we're doing what we're doing, which I wish it was an easier thing to figure out, but it is, it's not, which is why it's so valuable when you do is when, once you get that right, bam, things start to go forward. I'll give you two examples. When we launched the real estate company, we came up with uh, why we're doing what we're doing is to transform lives and careers and communities through real estate. 
and and we just happened to broker real estate deals, right? <laughs> and that really took off. So what's the why between or that, that is causing you as a gym owner thinking right now that you're doing what you're doing? Um, th- there's an opportunity in that because I think a lot of people have yet to define that. And as soon as they do, whoosh, things are going to really take off. Yeah, and I, this is before pandemic, but I've talked about this with the guys on the podcast a little bit. I, I did a similar exercise when my wife got pregnant with our first kid. It's like, okay, I'm not a religious dude, so... Um, like I don't have a framework that I necessarily operate off of. Why, why do I act the way I do? How can I, what can I pass on to my offspring? Like I didn't have any of these questions. Not that I even like, I don't know why I was asking myself this, but that was, man, that's been like a over a year of trying to self do some self discovery. And it's, it's awful. Like, especially if you're not, a, if you're a type of guy who's just like very much leaning into whatever you're doing and don't like to reflect that reflection is a, a challenging exercise. It's and a I could, challenging exercise. And, yeah. and I'm fortunate enough, like this isn't my livelihood per se. It's just kind of like it's our familial unit, which is healthy. Like I have a great relationship with my, my wife and my family. But I can imagine being a small business owner and it like it being the livelihood to be able to provide for your family, having to reflect on that is probably not an easy task, which is probably why there's coaches who are pretty switched on that make a decent living on helping, you know, be the proverbial shaman of that exercise. Yeah. And it can feel a little overwhelming, right? All this talk, you're, you're, you know, you're just trying to run your gym and make a good living and and do good by people. And you're like, what the hell do I have to like deal with all these macroeconomic changes at a global level? Or can I just, you know, get another 10 members? (laughs) And, And I, and I think that there's some wisdom in that because at the end of the day, we just need to take clear action every day and if it happens to be aligned with a broader vision of where you're going, all the better, right? So I, I try to then, I love these kind of conversations, but then I try to bring it down to like, what's my action plan between now and the end of the year, mm-hmm. right? I, I 10-year vision is awesome. I want to do my best to continue to craft that. That's going to change as I grow and I learn. But I should be pretty good at coming up with my action items between now and the end of the year. Like that needs to be pretty set and solid. And if... We do that in increments of, say, 90 days with a constant vision on where I'm going over time. You know, we kind of tend to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, the context of time is usually to our benefit. When we look back, I mean, think about where all of us were 10 years ago. A lot of shit's happened in 10 years. And 10 years ago, I was like, things are happening just too slow. But, you know, I I look now in 10 years, I'm like, wow, I actually did quite a bit. I was single. I didn't have uh, three kids. I wasn't married. Uh, Balance Calorama was open. Balance Calorama was open. That's right. I, exactly. I was <laughs> up in that upper area right there. So look at what we've done in 10 years. A lot. Yeah. So in some ways, we got to take some pressure off ourselves, right? We've got this pressure to like build, to be ambitious, to make money, to be awesome uh, moms and dads and like to be everything to everybody. And that's not real. So, you know, how do we kind of bring it back to, to define a couple things that we really want out of our life and come up with a reasonably decent action plan, maybe with the help of a mentor or a coach, measure it in 90 to 180 day increments and voila, like after time, after a while, shit tends to work out. Mm-hmm. Totally. What else you got things? Speaking of brands, brandongreen.com. You've got a pretty extensive and powerful blog on there. Ah. My, my question is, do you have a writing cadence or is it, man, I'm feeling this itch. And then you put together awesome content. 
So speaking of uh, speaking of brands, thanks, Tex. Uh, so I stepped out of the a lot of the day-to-day of running the real estate business about a year and a half ago. And I still do a, a fair amount, like, you know, getting a, a lawsuit at my door this morning. But beyond that. <laughs> well, obviously you are the person like where the buck stops because they, yes, that's I am. Because they I am. served you. That's right. That's true. Uh, though a lot of the day-to-day I've got now a team working on that stuff, which has been really good. But what it's given me a chance to assess is what am I doing with my personal brand? Like, who am I (laughs) outside the context of real estate? Which I'll be honest, guys, has been a really hard journey because I spent 15 years like building a real estate business. And and then I found myself at a place where I could could not do that. And and then I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do? Like, who am I? And so I've been on this journey of of discovering that. And one of the things that I like to do is write. That helps me clarify it. I've written a memoir. I haven't published it yet, but I've got it out there. I'll figure it out some, at some point. And I do have a cadence where I'm, I'm, I'm definitely working to create at least something once a month. Now, I write every day, though bringing it into an actual pub, uh, piece I can publish on LinkedIn or on my personal blog once a month. Uh, and I also brought on a team called BW Missions this last spring to help me create content on the personal brand front. So I realized, hey, whatever I do in the next 10 years, my personal brand identity needs to be clarified. My point of view needs to be clear. And I need to be producing content on all of these different channels that are available for, for amplifying our voice and amplifying what we believe in. And I was way behind in that. So I brought them on board and we've been working the last several months to get content rolling on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And, and, and we're going to next, uh, next week launch the first newsletter, the Brandon Green Report. And, and so creating all this outside of the business has been just a crazy journey to figure out what does that look like? Cause it's a branding exercise, not a selling exercise. Like there's no, like I'm not charging anybody for, for this shit. Right. And, and that's been um, something to, to really wrap my head around. So is there a, is there a financial play or are you just doing this because you're a benevolent human being that just wants to help other people succeed? Well, I mean, I always want to make money in what I'm doing hundred percent. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to joke about that. And I also believe that I can make great money and help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And what I have not yet figured out, although I'm really close, which is on the personal brand front, what's the triangulation of that? Yeah. So I st- I've started by doing everything for free. And so I've got lots of stuff, all the content, all that's for free. I've had a, a, a course for small business owners on how to maximize their P&L. And I have been charging a little bit for that. But for the most part, it's completely been for free because I want to make sure that I create a really compelling vehicle that is something that will move the needle for people financially. And I'm really, really close to that. So maybe in another few more months, I'll have something for you that, that will be sort of like the lead vehicle that people can participate in. It's going to be around investing. You know, we, um, we did a lot of stuff for free or, uh, you know, when I started power athlete and even before power athlete, when we were involved in the CrossFit market and gave away a ton of free content and it's amazing the goodwill that we built. We still see it today with people that are like, well, I've been following you this long. Like, you know, it was life changing at this moment. Like, and they've kind of, 
uh, gone. And I think what people forget is that you have to invest and build those people and, and uh, you know, polarize them and, and build them up and make those people kind of, uh, you know, loyal people that might not have found you if you were charging something. That's and right. I, and it's pretty amazing, like, how many people we run into or we'll reach out to customers like, oh, I've been following you when it was CrossFit football and this is how long I've been. And I've been like, man. I have no idea how much goodwill we built in those early days that we're just seeing an incredible ripple effect. And I think when people start looking at this, especially in business, they don't always play the long game. Like, hey, I need to make a dollar today, not realizing that if I do this, it's going to, you know, amortize over the next 10 years. And that one, you know, the dollar that you thought you were going to make today becomes, you know, a thousand dollars over the course of a lifetime. And I think people aren't always willing to do that front side work. So that's good that you're doing it. Uh, the way I've been thinking about it is like a circle where I've said, all right, one half of the circle are the social media platforms. And, and there's a variety of them. You've got to get good, I believe, at executing content in a platform-specific way on those platforms. But those are other people's platforms. We should make no mistake. Hello, TikTok, right? I mean, that stuff could go away at any minute. So, so I don't believe you can build a real business exclusively on the platforms and expect that that's secure over the long run. And yet they're amazing amplification vehicles and we've got to get really, really good at that. So uh, that does take either a lot of skills, a lot of time and, or a lot of resources. And uh, so I've been playing with the intersection between those things. What am I good at? How much time do I really have? And how much am I willing to pay to build a team around creating content? First half the circle. Then you've got, let's call it the next, almost a little bit more than half of the circle, which is the stuff that is proprietary to you. So for me, that's going to be the newsletter to start with, which is that's entirely driven by me. I own the database with the names. Nobody's going to mess with that. And people are opting in now to receiving that content proactively. So passive content, proactive content through the newsletter. And then the, the last little bit, maybe a, a little less than a quarter is what's the offer, right? That's, I think, one of the last steps is, well, what, what's the offer out into the world? What's the primary offer? And then what are the other offers that people are going to be interested in? It's like, a, it's like a house. What's your front door? Once people come in and they know how to get into your house and they like your house, they're going to want to go into all the other rooms and see what you got. But the front door has to be pretty clear. The house has to be built. It's got to be attractive enough to have something inside. Or when people get in, they'll be like, this is shit. And they'll leave. So I've been working to build a house and build a front door. And I, I believe, and that's taken me a year and a half to get to where I am now. And I think in the next six months, we'll paint the front door and then we'll open the front door with a clear offering that'll have a variety of other things in it. Nice. That's like a great it. analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tex, what does your front door look like? Yeah. Hey, Tex. Oh, funny story. Red? No, I don't want a red door. Painted black. <laughs> the previous owners power washed it and just... There's this this it's a wood very door. artistic wood door oh. with this scribble you of a power wash. You need to sand that door down and paint it like, ro- deep, like robin egg blue, which I it's pretty funny. Blue. Every time that I've ever, and I, uh, the house I had in Newport Beach was this uh, bitchin' 60s Brady Bunch mid-century home. And I've been always obsessed with this, like uh, just really cool, like 60s mid-century and um, the house that we have is definitely not that, but I have visions to make that. And like, the, yeah, it, it's just like, it's funny. My, and my, my wife's in the same bucket. We're always like talking about it. And she's like, God, this polished brass just looks fucking awful. I'm like, I know. Oh, all right. It's, I'm sorry. It's the antique brass, which it was cool about four or five years ago here in Texas. Yeah. But uh, I, dude, every time I see a mid-century home, it's got a Robin egg blue door. I'm like, I'm sold. I'll live there. 
I don't know why that is. In Dutch doors. You should cut that thing in half and Dutch door that thing. In Texas? Yeah, you got to have a Dutch door in Texas. No. We have them here. In the barn. So the horses can come look at us. And the mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes. (laughs) I I don't think I have the the sidewall. Let's knock that out. Let's mm-hmm. knock it all out. Just or you just move the door up. <laughs> now we're talking. A screen door, and then you can have a little porch. I, all right, yeah, all yeah. right. Picking up. Some, some little home home renovation tips here. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not Never power that. wash your front door. Tip number one. Ah uh, man, I've had. I think this is my eleventh or twelfth home. So I've uh, yeah I've lived in like multiple states, multiple homes. And so it's pretty funny after you like built like um, we put so much work into our mids into our house in Newport Beach that like when we came and bought this, we were kind of like a little burned out. And now it's been like a couple of years and I'm like making a list of things I want to change. So but <laughs> things are always changing in my house. My ho- my husband is an interior designer and owns a home staging company. Oh, oh lucky. That's, God, that's da- cheating. Damn you. Uh, we actually figured out that um don't hire an interior decorator, hire somebody that stages homes to sell them. Because yeah. when we went to sell our house uh, before we staged it and I was like, God damn it. These people have taste. We're just going to hire these people the next time we went around. And that was actually the way we did it. It's great. There's pros and cons though. I have to tell you. So the pro <laughs> is the house always looks great. And it's true. Like anytime anything's out of sorts, like he's like over there fluffing the pillows and doing the, the karate chop. So it gets the, you know, daily. The house is ready to be sold to anybody at any time. <laughs> the, <laughs> the downside is sometimes it's kind of a pain in the ass to live that way. So yeah. the the argument we frequently have is on the couch. Like I'm like, I, I frequently will lay on the staging pillow or the and and you can't do that. No, so he, no, no, no. He's got like this old pile of old ratty pillows that are tucked away and hidden that I can use, but sometimes I don't want to go get those pillows. I just want to lay on the couch and lay on the staging pillow. So, so we have these kind of, <laughs> kind of like, can I sit on this chair? Yeah. Or is this going to the warehouse next week? Right. Wow. Or <laughs> he brought in this beautiful white rug for the front door the other day. I was like white rug in front of the front door. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, well, that's why you got to take your shoes off before you come in the house. Yeah, exactly. Before you, yeah, before like you get to and, before coming in the house or nobody comes in the front door. Mm-hmm. Anybody come like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we don't let, what are you barn animal? <laughs> get out to the garage. <laughs> uh, well, the, uh, look, but don't touch anything around here. <laughs> you guys would not enjoy living in Texas because this is the dustiest place on the planet. Like, I'm not kidding you. Dust is everywhere. Like, it's, I've never seen any place like this dusty. I'll like, and my wife's constantly like, look at all this dust. I'm like, I guess it's just Texas. Mm-hmm. I love Texas. So I particularly love Austin. I, oh, yeah? I, Keller Williams is headquartered in Austin. And so for many years, I've been coming to Austin three, four, five, six, seven times a year until, you know, a year ago. Bam. That came to an end. But I love Austin. I can't wait to do come you, back. Do you know Michelle Jones? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she's a friend of ours, her husband, Thad, who's a, a buddy of ours. Uh, she was a Keller Williams person. I think she has her own group now. Um, and they do a bunch of high end stuff, a bunch of stuff on the lake. So I didn't know if you did. No. So Brandon, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about your training, buddy. What are you doing for your workouts? Do we need to save you? Do you need help? Uh, so I don't think you need to save me, but maybe, maybe, maybe you do. We'll see. So, (laughs) so I, I am on, so like uh, a lot of people, this COVID thing, my home gym, home workout setup turns out to not to be as effective as I thought it was. And when I got back to the gym, you know, I was up like 15 pounds. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. that's not muscle. Uh, so (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> what we found with people with COVID is people started drinking at like nine or 10 being like, Hey, you want to have a glass of wine? You're there like, you it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Man, I, I, I'm not a big alcohol drinker, but I love wine. And absolutely during COVID, I was like, well, I'm going to just, uh, we're going to do a bottle on the weekend. Right. And so I was doing a bottle on the weekend and it would last, like I'd open it on Friday it last through Sunday. And then, and then I was like, well, Thursday's the weekend. Right. <laughs> so I'd start, I'd open it on Thursday, but the problem is, is then it was gone by Saturday and I'm like, well, I still have Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I'd open another open bottle on Sunday and, and pretty soon it was Tuesday and then it was Thursday again. And all of a sudden I'm like, shit, this is two bottles a week. This is a problem mm-hmm. and for me. Like, so yeah, I gained a lot of alcohol weight cut that out. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I think maybe three, four pounds away. I'll, I'm going to weigh in tomorrow from taking all that off, which is good. So anyway, one of my workouts, I'm working out with a personal trainer two days a week and we're, and we're lifting mostly heavy Nice. and, and, uh, you know, bread and butter, heavy lifting, uh, mm-hmm. lots, lots of squats and deadlifts and, and presses and, and, and so forth, and, which I actually really like. That's my preferred style of lifting is, the heavy lifting. And then two days a week, I'll take one of the uh, CrossFit like classes at Petworth Fitness. They also dropped the CrossFit name. Uh, so something that will really get my heart rate up two days a week. So four days a week is the recipe for me. I have found over the years that if I go to three days a week of working out, I don't make any progress. Two days a week, I go backwards. Four days a week, I actually work toward my goals. And if I do that, and then I and I watch my protein to make sure I get enough protein. Yeah, everything else is kind of golden. Although actually that's not true. I drink three big things, maybe four of these a day mm-hmm. to make sure I'm getting enough water. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping there was wine in there. I drink three, 40 ounces of wine a day. Or coffee. Or co- Man, did you, did you learn all this at Balance? This from a, uh, from a, 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 one, a young Chris McWilkin? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I actually liked Balance a lot. I loved oh, that. Calendar. It was it was one of the greatest gyms. It was half it was. A basketball court. It was a former gymnasium for middle school. The, I thought it was in a church. Well, the church took over said classroom, lunchroom, and all that good stuff. Was this they, when Ke- was Callie working there? Yeah. Yeah. So Callie and I was managing, and she was coaching the the Dupont. But then personal so it was set up. Personal trainers could come in and like pay ten bucks for their session. They're renting the space. Is this where Eric Peterson would send me all those pictures of him doing aerials? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's the yeah. strongest dude in that gym. And doing um, full layouts and sending me round-offs and all these crazy pictures. Uh, yeah, and essentially power cleaning 315 pounds <laughs> and then getting into a split. 15 times. <laughs> uh, dude, this guy used to send me these pictures. This is before I knew Tex and Cali when we were doing the CrossFit football. This guy would send me at least once a week. I'd get some picture from him. And, uh, like I would, I'd like have to look and be like, what's he? Oh, wait a minute. He's doing a flip. Wow. Like, and it was like, it was like a slow motion camera. So like, I'd see like the, well, dude, dude was a UCLA gymnast in college and then hit a growth spurt. So he's probably about six, four, (laughs) two twenty. Just a strong dude. Majestical acrobatics. Oh yeah. (laughs) After huge deadlifts. That's awesome. (laughs) Good for him. That was a great gym. Or, uh, Ori was my trainer back then. Oh yeah. So Ori. Ori Gorfine, I think. Yep. Yeah, Ori Gorfine. He's he's still in the fitness industry, but he bumped he to C yeah. level with balance and then mm-hmm. on to other Different other venture gyms. Yeah. Um, but by the time I got there, he had graduated from the personal training and into the, the C suite with the balance crew. And then 
just GM'd it until, unfortunately, the, the door shut down. Yeah. Yeah, I've been working out for a long time. And I think what I'm finding now, I'm 43. I'm finding now that like, it's different in your 40s than when you're in your 20s. And so I'm finding I have to wor- warm up a little bit longer now, make sure that I'm really warm. So we've been front-loading some of the cardio to make sure mm-hmm. that I... Um, it's both good cardio and a much better warm, uh, warm up. Cause I found I was getting a couple little injuries along the way and I've never really had any injuries. So, so my trainer's like, all right, let's, we got to warm you up better and longer. And, and that seems to be working. You know, better. there's research that supports that. I mean, I remember uh, Dr. Tom talked to me a long time ago, especially about like knee injuries and joints, like doing like, you know, 25, 30, 40 minutes of some like, you know, aerobic work or something that like looked like, you know, what you think for traditional cardio mm-hmm. as a precursor before lifting weights was uh, extremely beneficial for connective joints and for health. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, do you have the, the time and the inclination to do it is really what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Yeah. I find I need to, I need to be working up a bit of a sweat before I start to go into any of those heavy lifts and that, I mean, I did injure my toe the other day, which was really strange. So I'm not sure how to warm up the toe per se, but I think that was more of my shoes than anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess barefoot, you get barefoot and maybe roll that foot on a little tennis ball. We got some, we got some foot guys. We can shoot you some foot stuff if you want. It's um, better now, but it took like two months to really heal. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I know what happened. I was doing some heavy deadlifting and on one of the lifts, my foot rolled in just a little, mm-hmm. just rolled in a little bit and my toe a little bit. And I put too much heavy weight and strain on that left toe and it bruised the ball of my foot. Mm. And man, that sucker hurt for like a month and a half. That was a, mm-hmm. that was a, a wild one. So I'm, I'm not 22. So I got to be thinking like warm up, warm up, warm up and drink a lot of water. All right, let's get down to the real deal. What are you deadlifting? Shit, I don't. Ter- my my. Uh, what did I? I deadlifted uh, uh, two ninety five. I believe it was. All for, right. For how many? Twenty. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. What you're supposed to do is like, yeah, I deadlifted two ninety five for sets of twenty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, that's no, always I the think, slow burn. I think it was seven. Oh, that's nice. That's wow. That's good. I'm out. I'm out on that. Well, you've been allergic to deadlifting since I've known you. It's a condition, John. It's not a laughing matter. (laughs) I hate deadlifting. For the record, my man. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff I like. I hate it, but my, I've seen some of these memes. My trainer says it like anything you want out of life, deadlift. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think deadlifting like um, is like one of those things you probably got to do just periodically just to make sure everything's still like the nut, like the lug nuts are still tight. It's true. Oh, still not there. Yeah. (laughs) So I, John, I did last week. Text was it two weeks ago? So I tried some. I'm dealing with like so, like a hip foot type deal. So I tried to go single legs, do some like single leg deadlifts. And I'm talking like Ooh. 95 pounds, just doing yeah. the negative portion. I was even standing it up really, and I got the deadlift flu. <laughs> I did. I did. You mean that day you were deadlifting with Harry Shaw and he hurt his back, hasn't lifted weights since, and you even got the deadlift flu? No, it's like deadlift flu is very severe, John. You don't understand. It's not quite physical. It's not quite nervous system. It's not quite emotional. It's this conglomeration of just emotional chaos. Would you call it a cornucopia? <laughs> yes, the cornucopia is spun by the by the deadlifts. Oh my god, Brandon! For your, for your goals, you said that training and working towards it four days is your number. Does your trainer help you write these, or you have an idea of a vision of who you want to be within the physical realm? So I, I set my goals and the trainer helps monitor them. So this, Sweet. the goal was to, uh, get to 200 pounds, which is a much better weight for me. Um, 
in by the end of October was the goal that we set as soon as we came back from COVID in, in August. Now, here's actually a good, a good question for you guys. So uh, what do I do then, right? So I'll be there, I'll be there soon. Well, I'm asking goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be there soon, but what do I do then? I I find that in the physical space, I I'll get there, and then I'll get a little lazy, and it'll get a little up we go, and then I'm like, oh, I gotta get back, and I get mm-hmm. back, and then I, so I've found like that is a plateau for me, that is um, something I'd love to push through this next time, but I've found like setting the next goal, I'm just not sure what it is. I before COVID, I had set a goal to. Uh, do some sort of race or something like that. And then of course mm-hmm. that all disappeared. And this, you got this is perfect. So in our trainer course, we, we discuss this and go into it a little bit, but it, in our experience, we're talking with clients, goals come down to one of three things and it's up to the trainer to identify them. That's why I asked if your trainer was involved, but one is an outcome. So an example would be, I want to get down to 200 pounds. That's an outcome. The second would be a process. I want to run a marathon. Okay, well, running a marathon involves this much training that you're committing to before March. And then the third is we have an identity. And a trainer's mission, as long as you're working with your dude, is to get you from outcome because then you hit it. Hmm. Now what do I do? And then they lose interest and eventually you stop paying for your trainer. Again, we're like this course is connecting with that individual. Then we get into the process which is a great thing to have because the trainer is part of that solution. It is part of the process and they can be there for that competition or the, the next step that the training is occurring for uh, competition, movement, marathon, whatever it may be. And then we have our identity. So his goal should be to help you change those health behaviors and COVID messed a lot of people up because you had freedom to drink whenever the hell you wanted or eat. Mm-hmm. whatever. So now it's versus the fitness folks that then were locked down in their gym. All right, I'm going to get creative with a solution. Mm-hmm. We had a cool program where we put together a bunch of workouts with cinder blocks and people jumped all over it. Mm-hmm. They were identifying as power athletes. They were identifying as fitness themed and it's part of their, who they are. Mm-hmm. And we see this in marathon runners. Oh, I, what do you do? I, yeah. Or I'm a triathlete, yeah. so on and so forth. They identify, I'm a CrossFitter is a great one. Mm-hmm. So the goal, start to think about, okay, how I am a healthy individual. Rather than a set number on the scale or a deadlift number, mm-hmm. it becomes, all right, well, how I, how I move is how I live. How I live is how I move. Yeah. And long term, and Luke and I were talking about how his, his dad's still getting up and hunting while he's still feeling it. How he's moving is how he's living. How he's living is how he's moving. And that keeps him, in a long-term perspective, mm-hmm. moving still. Because yeah. he does not want to not hunt. And you do not want to not play, play with your granddaughter or not mm-hmm. want to not golf. So it's, it's connecting to movement as an identity. Where we're not mad at the marathon runners or the triathletes or the CrossFitters. At the same time, we understand they're identifying as these. And it's still health. It's movement. It's awesome as long as they don't get hurt. But then it's that outcome. Those are the people that fall off the wagon, that pay for a personal training pack, and then you never see them again. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to really connect with the people in, I believe, through goals and simplifying 
finding out what it is and then bringing them through this, the funnel of outcome to process. And you are part of the process as a trainer until almost they don't need you anymore, Mm -hmm. but they will recommend you to friends, family, so on and so forth. And so your business grows by developing this autonomous individual. And as transient as DC is, friends come and go and leave and you lose clients just by circumstance. But if they come back in town, hell, they'll, they'll drop by either buy you a beer or, you know, drop in for a training session mm-hmm. with you. Or, or I know has done a good job with that. So you still remember his name from 10 years ago. So that is, that's something we're trying to increase the perspective of trainers, personal trainers, the solo entrepreneur in the fitness realm. Mm. I like that. You know, I, I think what I need to do then uh, is evolve my identity around fitness. I mean, I would say I, my identity around fitness is a guy who works out frequently to stay mobile and healthy and, uh, you know, not a backtrack, which is, not a particularly inspiring business no, <laughs> no, no. identity. <laughs> uh, it's it's turned out to be a good way to manage the outcome, and it kicks my butt around process. But the identity is an interesting way of thinking about that. I never thought of that. I've I've I have this weird relationship with um, athletics, and in, in that uh, I actually am pretty athletic. But when I was growing up, I w- really struggled with my self identity, and 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 uh, I. Uh, came out as gay in my early twenties. I didn't even know it when I was in high school and middle school, but that the struggle I was having then and didn't even know it created a weird relationship with athletics because there was a lot of weird dynamics for me in those type of environments in school. And so I didn't participate in athletics in school. I didn't feel like I could, or was qualified. Um, but now as an adult, I'm like, actually I'm pretty reasonably athletic. So when it comes to recreating or evolving my identity as an athlete, that's a really interesting way for, for me to think about that. Can I recommend pickleball? Oh man. You play any pickleball? You play any sports? Uh, I have played tennis. Oh, tennis I actually really like birds. Man. I think pickleball's <laughs> like a tennis or a ping pong racquetball and tennis kind of if they had a bastard child. Yes. That's you're, right. You're that, not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I do so that, I played with my uh, played, seven uh, eighty year old uncle and he kicked my ass in pickleball. Mm-hmm. He was shooting me all over the court. So maybe at, for example, of course, you know, you control your own destiny here, Brandon, but what if out of those four days maybe what if you started picking up a fifth day, right? That wasn't necessarily training, like something that was going to potentially overwhelm you, but maybe it's like yoga or yeah, some sort of play. And then maybe that turns into like Hmm. four and one of that recess play into three and two. And then maybe, maybe there's a competitive spark and you can kind of recapture a little Hmm. bit of that lost competitive passion from, from the earlier days in, Hmm. in high school. What do you think about that? And then you just polish up that pickleball game. And then when you come to Austin, I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, I'm not that good. I'm looking up pickleball because I actually know nothing about no! it. So here's what pickleball is. Let me tell you. It's fun for, for like younger people, but also older ex-tennis pros play it and dominate you. So it's like you have these, at least the dynamic that Tex and I have been in at the, the local spot here, it's, it's like older retirees that are playing yeah. because it's, it's kind of a fast-paced game, but it's, very, it's in tight, a tighter boundary than a tennis court. And it's very, like if you are a skilled 
racket athlete, you can excel. If you're an, a very unskilled racket athlete, unskilled, you know, I'm a racket sporter. Okay, whatever. More than I am. But you can, like, make up for it in maybe speed and athleticism. So when we play with these old folks, it's like, you know, like a 70-year-old gal that's just ripping these pickle pickleballs at us. <laughs> Strategic. And, like, putting this spin on it to drop it. And then, like, here I am, like, diving and hitting it. It's hitting like, it out of the park. Yeah. Hard as you can. So it's, it's a super fun dynamic. Okay, so I think I had an aha around all that. So I think I my identity around fitness has been it's it's like required work to keep my body in good shape. Mm-hmm. And I've lost the recreation part of that. Yeah, the, the facilitation to something adventurous, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I got it. Yeah, that's actually that's actually what's going on with my fitness identity. Thanks, Tex, for having a deep moment with me. We, it's totally yeah, we, we've seen this all over the place and now is an opportunity for a lot of people to recreate how they communicate to their clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do their clients are they like me? They may be, which is I I definitely see it as a as an obligation, a, a means to an end almost. Like mm-hmm. I've got to get it done so that I've got a healthy body that so that I, you know, feel good, but I'm certainly not feeling it's like fun. Yeah, but that's phase one. I mean, it's still important to have that relationship, I think, with that time and that activity. Um, but then it's like, can we encapsulate that? And, and, and it's, it's up to the, you're switched on enough to find out what you enjoy. I would encourage the other trainers to then talk to their people and say, all right, what do you enjoy outside of this? And finding something movement related that then we can either tie the deadlift and all the stuff that is not fun to the fun or... If that fun is movement, let's turn it into ex- we disguise it as exercise. Yeah, right, right, and that could be the fifth day a week too, which actually mm-hmm. would be good. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's what we do. Well, thank people. you, man. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> people helping people, Brandon's powerful That's right. stuff. That's right. Um, I, I'm. Yeah. You got anything else for us? I mean, we we talked about the website. Any like, where do you want people to follow you on social? Yeah. So, uh, Hey, go to, uh, brandongreen.com, which I'm going to launch a new one here in another month or so, which is oh. going to be pretty exciting, but it's the one that's there right now is pretty good. And, and then at the very bottom, you can subscribe to my newsletter, the Brandon green report, which is coming out soon. And we're going to be touching on all kinds of different things for business owners, some perspective on what's happening in business in the country right now. It's good for us just to keep an eye on some of those statistics. I'm going to be profiling a really successful entrepreneur every month and providing a lot of insight on, on how to run great businesses. So that's, and then just some personal stuff that I'm doing. So the Brandon Green Report via brandongreen.com. If Instagram's your thing, that's a good one. Brandon A. Green is my Instagram handle. So, you but you can find me on all the platforms Look at you. <laughs> these days on LinkedIn yeah. and Twitter and so forth, but go to brandongreen.com and everything shows up there. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Power athlete nation for tuning into another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding. Zero. Ding. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Brandon, again, for taking the time to chat with us until next time, everybody. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Visit brandongreen.com for more information and links to all of his social media outlets. Until next time, bye!